Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Murder Mile. Today, I'm standing on Hanson Street in Fitzrovia, W1. Fourth Street southwest of the Charlotte Street robbery. One street east of the murder of the lady. Three streets east of the rape by the cowardly billionaire's son. And two streets south of the gangster who lost it all. Coming soon to Murder Mile. Hanson Street is quite possibly the dullest street in London. It's so dull, the dogs bark out of boredom. Each flat has its own yawn. If a gallery opened, it would be shut down for being too rowdy. And the only sound you'll hear is as a moped roars by to deliver an overpriced, substandard pizza from the place at the end of the road. The brainless deadbeats, who refuse to wash up, will only eat the blandest of double-syllable foods, and then order, Alexa, hire a flunky to chew my food, and then wipe my bum. Halfway down is 21 Hanson Street, a red brick five-story mansion block, from which a single sound is rarely uttered and where families, couples and singletons go about their lives within a few feet of each other, but rarely mix or mingle, except for a perfunctory hello. Hello! And then an all-too-hasty goodbye. Goodbye! And yet on Monday the 18th of August 1952, at roughly 2pm, a scream from Flat 8 on the third floor of 21 Hanson Street carried so far that many of the neighbours came flocking to see what the commotion was all about. Inside, a woman was dead. But how did she die? And who knew what? My name is Michael. I'm your tour guide. And this is Murder Mile. Episode 234 Deadly Soap
when there's no separation between religion and the law. Too often the laws of our land are shaped by moralizing policymakers who have very little connection with the side of society that their law affects. And with almost no recourse, too often it's the innocent who are driven to take drastic steps. Georgia Antonio was born Georgia Andreu on the Mediterranean island of Cyprus on an unspecified date in 1929 as one of two daughters and a son to Anastasia. Being a traditional Greek Cypriot who was raised as a Greek Orthodox Christian, when they came to Britain five years before, they brought with them their language, their culture and their beliefs, which were hard to replicate in post-war Britain. Something that rankled George's values was that she wasn't married in a Greek Orthodox church, but in a local registry office. It was never explained why, as her faith had never wavered as far as we know. But it doesn't make sense. As the first Greek Orthodox church in London was built in nearby Soho in the 1700s, for centuries London had had a thriving Greek Cypriot community and as a crown colony from 1925. During World War II, this city had become the seat of the Greek government in exile. On the 7th of June 1952, 23-year-old Georgia visited the surgery of Dr. Michael Leocides in Kentish Town, as her mother Anastasia sat in the waiting room. Having examined her, Although an initial test proved inconclusive, on the 10th of July, just one month later, Georgia got the news that she was pregnant. Like her mother, she would have made a great parent. And being fit, strong and healthy, there was no physical reason not to have a child. But as recent immigrants struggling to stay afloat in a foreign land and with her relationship with her loving husband a little strained. This wasn't the right time for her. It was the wrong decision for her to have a child at that very moment. It was unfair on the baby to be born in a family which wasn't ready to accept it. A baby should be welcomed into a world out of love, not reluctance having been forced to exist owing to the laws written by men and demanded by great swathes of society who will never give birth. And as much as she would love her child dearly, it wasn't right to burden it with a life of want when she could have waited until her dire circumstances had improved. Some might say, well, if she didn't want a baby, that she shouldn't have had sex. But everything was against her. The pill didn't exist. Condoms were outlawed by her religion. And abstinence was an option. But how often is consensual sex ever consensual? Inside her body, the clock was ticking. In six months' time, a baby would be born 
whether she liked it or not. And as much as her religion forbade it, society scoffed, and the moralizing lawmakers denied her any right to decide what to do with her own body. She had an impossible decision to make. To appease the people by what suited their moral values, or to break the law and risk everything she had worked hard for, such as her freedom, her citizenship, her home, her family, her health, and of course, her life. Until the Abortion Act of 1967, a series of unfair moralistic laws had led to untold scores of good, decent women seeking out the only alternatives they had to an unwanted pregnancy. Even in 1952, five years into the formation of the National Health Service, a taxpaying woman couldn't have what was in effect an unwanted growth removed from her insides at a publicly funded hospital. So many sought out unqualified backstreet abortionists, unreliable homemade remedies, or drank a cocktail of unregulated poisons, many of which caused hair loss, fever, vomiting, bleeding, loss of kidney function, blindness, paralysis, and even death. In 1923, 15% of all maternal deaths were due to illegal abortions and the rate of unwanted pregnancies was climbing. One woman said, My aunt died by self-aborting. She had three children and couldn't feed a fourth, so she used a knitting needle and died of septicemia, leaving all of her children motherless. In 1938, Dr. Alex Bourne was acquitted of performing an abortion on a 14-year-old girl who had been gang-raped and was suicidal, which opened the doors to a legally acquired abortion, but only if the mother's life was in danger and she had a psychiatrist's approval. And although in the 1960s, availability of the contraceptive pill changed many women's lives, far too many were still being killed by illegal abortions. In 1967, the Abortion Act became law, which legalized abortions for pregnancies up to 23 weeks and 6 days. It's a law which still exists today. But for Georgia, living in 1952, she didn't have that option. It's understandable that Anastasia, George's mother, would deny all knowledge of the abortion, as under the Offences Against the Person Act of 1861 and the Infant Life Preservation Act of 1929, even the act of aiding an illegal abortion risked her being imprisoned. So what she knew or did is uncertain. Back in June 1952, Anastasia said of the time, Many times we spoke about the pregnancy. She said she did not want to have a child, as she was not married in a Greek church. 
I used to tell her that many Cypriot ladies were not married in the church, but they did have children because the registry marriage is valid. But as a Greek Cypriot with very traditional values, Georgia was not convinced. A few days later, my daughter said to me, I heard of a certain woman, and I want you to come with me so that we can see this woman. Taking the short walk along Charing Cross Road, from my mother's house in Gooch Place to a poorly lit side street just off Shaftesbury Avenue, Georgia and Anastasia arrived at 57 New Compton Street. Anastasia would state, We went to the house of this woman, and I learned that her name was Harita, which wasn't entirely true, as her name was Haratini Matthew, a 54-year-old widow with two children, who made a living as a seamstress, but as a former nurse, helped those in need in the Greek community. Haratini would contradict this, stating, I have known Anastasia for three or four years. I met her on the corner of New Compton Street, and we talked together because we are both from Cyprus. She has been to my house many times, and I have been to her address in Gooch Place about three months ago. As the possible abortionist, it's also understandable why she would lie. But this is not to imply a kind of sinister conspiracy. Far from it. As these were just two working-class immigrant women who spoke very little English and had even less status, engaging in an illegal act. But not for profit, but because it was right. Anastasia said, My daughter and the woman were speaking together in English, which I do not understand. Whereas Haratini said, Mrs. Andreu and the other lady, who she said was her daughter, went into my flat and stayed for about half an hour. Mrs. Andreu talked about her feet and her bad legs, but apparently nothing else was said. In their statements... Neither of them say anything about an abortion. And for good reason. Monday the 18th of August 1952 was the day that, possibly by chance, Haratini Matthew popped by the flat of Georgia Antonio for lunch and Georgia's mother Anastasia dropped in to do some cleaning. The flat was small, thin and practical, with a sitting room overlooking the street, a bed opposite the front door, a dining room at the back, and in the middle, a kitchen-come-bathroom with a gas hob for cooking and a bath for bathing. As before central heating, that was how you heated the bath water. Anastasia said, I went upstairs, opened the door, and I saw my daughter in the bedroom. When I saw her, I was surprised, and I said, 
Why did you not go to work? She told me she was unwell. Then in the bedroom, I saw the woman. But I had no right to say anything, as it was not my room. It was while she was in the kitchen that Anastasia said that she noticed a bowl on the gas. I don't know what was in it. The water was colored. And feeling afraid, I wanted to leave the house, not to see or know anything. My daughter said to me, go and sit in the sitting room. It's nothing to do with you. It was then that both women's stories converged. As apparently Georgia said, I've got a headache, mummy. Her mother told her to lay down. And seconds later, both women stated, We heard a noise like something falling. In the bedroom, Haratini said, Georgia was lying on the floor. The mother and I lifted her onto the bed. I then put water on her forehead to bring her round, as I have nursing experience, having been trained as a registered midwife in Cyprus. Which was either a very brave or a very stupid thing to admit to the police, given the situation that had already unfolded. By their own accounts, they had no idea why she was ill. She said she had a pain in her stomach. And although Georgia was able to open her eyes, she could not speak and was barely conscious and hardly breathing. Desperate to revive her from a mysterious collapse, they did whatever they could. Haratini massaged her heart and her unstocking legs with eau de cologne and raised her legs over her head. As in the 1950s, these were believed to be effective forms of artificial respiration. And according to Anastasia, I smacked her on the face, I bit her thumb, and I did what I could to bring her round. But I could not do so. Telephoning for George's doctor and stating, Come at once. Bring an injection to save my daughter. She has fainted. Dr. Leocides arrived just after 2pm. But by then, Georgia Antonio was already dead. A single scream echoed the length of Hanson Street that day. Only it wasn't the death throes of Georgia, but the grief of her mother, Anastasia. Karen Russell in flat eight, two floors below, ran up the stairwell to see Anastasia collapsed on the step. Hysterically wailing, like her soul was full of nothing but tears. As described as demented, she ran from room to room, pulling at her hair and hitting herself, unable to comprehend the sheer horror. 
joined by two neighbours. As they stood in the doorway, Caroline Ferris and Margaret Polly both saw George's lifeless body, semi-clad and sprawled across the bed. And it was clear that she was dead. As her open mouth uttered nothing, not even a breath, a glistening tear on her lid was the only movement in her staring eyes. And her sweat-soaked face was etched in terror, as if she'd seen the devil himself. Unable to get any sense out of Anastasia, when asked, what happened? Haratini said, I don't know, she fell down here. And when asked, why haven't you sent for a doctor? Even though Anastasia had, she lied. I don't know her doctor. As Haratini then silently slipped out of the flat, unseen by anyone. Headed up by Detective Inspector Percy Woolway, this was a scene he had seen far too frequently in the last few decades as many good women were driven to do something drastic out of sheer desperation. The evidence was self-explanatory. As upon entry, the acrid stench of disinfectant stung the air, as well as the sheets, the pillow, and the groin of the woman herself. As with her stockings, slippers, and knickers on the floor, Her bare pale legs were stained with a steady stream of congealed blood. In the bathroom lay the recently paired shavings of a block of Lifebuoy soap. On the stove, a soiled pan sat empty as around it fizzed the white scum of a foamy lather. And between her legs lay an assortment of items which hadn't arrived by accident several rolls of cotton wool, an enema syringe, and the remainder of a glass containing two ounces of stiff soapy jelly made up of one-third of carbolic soap. None of these items belonged in the flat, and when quizzed, neither woman said that they recognised them. Having already questioned Anastasia, Haratini Matthew was arrested one week later, and at her flat at 54 New Compton Street, they found a similar syringe, an identical brand of soap, and 11 ampules of an undisclosed drug, which she later admitted was to aid only herself, owing to a bout of constipation. On the 3rd of September, Anastasia Andreu and Haratini Matthew were both charged with the manslaughter of Georgia Antonio and conspiring to procure an abortion. But the evidence of what happened to Georgia was irrefutable. Her autopsy conducted by Dr. Donald Tear 
at St Pancras Mortuary told a tragically familiar story. Listed as young, healthy and free from any disease, a few hours or maybe a day before her death, Georgia had lain on her bed, praying that her unwanted and unspoken pregnancy would vanish without a trace. With her undergarments removed for a procedure she could never have done alone, the paired shavings of carbolic soap, of a type freely available to most households, was dissolved in a warm pan of water until it reached a frothy, lukewarm lava. Partially made of carbolic acid, it acted as an antiseptic for cleaning wounds. Unless, of course, it was administered internally in a purer form. As a common type of abortion, the dissolved carbolic soap was inserted directly into the uterus using a rubberized enema syringe containing 30% carbolic acid as the frothy lava engulfed the womb. Being an irritant, the acid would cause the lining to enlarge, to inflame, and to bleed until the embryonic sac had burst. And a few days later, the deceased fetus would be expelled. Or at least, that was the idea. A bruise on the back of the uterus's neck was consistent with an enema syringe. And although a white fizz had enveloped the recently deceased two-month-old fetus, the pathologist formed the opinion that the amount of pressure needed to distend the uterus by four and a half inches could not have been caused by the girl herself. The baby was dead, having drowned in acid. But with the fetus still undetached, force had been used, her placenta had ruptured, and the lethal froth had entered her bloodstream. Carbolic soap was a cheap and readily available form of abortion to the average woman in need. Its effects were quick, effective, and devastating to the fetus, but all too often, lethal to the mother. It only took a small tear in the delicate lining of the placenta for a few air bubbles to leak inside of her. Once within, even a microscopic bubble of carbolic acid, or even just clean pure air, could circulate her entire body in just three minutes resulting in an embolism in her veins, arteries, heart, lungs, and brain. Suffering confusion, paranoia, anxiety, and even audible and visual hallucinations, her prolonged death, which the pathologist said took as much as 10 minutes, would have resulted in arrhythmia, heart failure, lung collapse, and a stroke. As lying helpless, her last gasps of breath frothed with blood.
with no way to revive her. All Anastasia could do was to watch the daughter she had tried to save die. And although just 15 years later, an abortion had become a legal day procedure in the local hospital, owing to unjust laws by the moral few, Georgia was killed because she didn't have a choice. Tried at the Old Bailey on the 28th of October 1952. Dressed in black and weeping uncontrollably, Anastasia Andreu stood in the dock alongside Havatini Matthew. Pleading not guilty to the charge of feloniously killing Georgia Antonio and unlawfully conspiring to procure an abortion. With such a public outcry of sympathy over this case, the prosecution provided no evidence, and both women were dismissed. It's a situation that neither woman should have found herself in, to be forced to do something illegal and harmful to herself over a choice which was made by a stranger whose own belief had shaped the law. We all have a right to speak. We all have a right to think. And we all have a right to believe. But the law should be there so we all have the right to choose what is best for us and not what is best for someone we don't know whose belief in life may be contradictory to our own. And if the law results in thousands of innocents dying every year, you have to question whether it's right that a belief takes precedence over the lives of others. Since the implementation of the 1967 Abortion Act, around 10 million abortions have occurred legally and safely in the UK. 214,000 happen every year in England and Wales, and with a mortality rate of just 0.6 deaths per 100,000. It's a comparatively safe medical procedure, which is only getting safer. The International Classification of Diseases stated that the most common reason for 98% of abortions was the risk to a woman's mental health. Thankfully, in the UK, women have a choice. But back in 1952, and even today in some supposedly civilized countries, women like Georgia have no choice at all. So ask yourself this, what do you want? A law which goes against your supposedly moral beliefs? Or once again, thousands of desperate women driven to their deaths and being killed by deadly soap. It's that time of the year. 
Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Well, there you go, folks. It was a nice happy one, wasn't it? I'm sure you're going to be having your cup of tea now or your breakfast or whatever and thinking, thanks, Mike, thanks for that. But you know what? It's an important one. It's an imp- what? That's what I try and do. I'm just going to take your little half. That's what I try and do with Murder Mile. It's, it's not all... I, I, I don't like these podcasts where it's all about, oh, killer, the killer does some bad killing. Oh, he stabs people and he cuts heads off. I think that's just shite. I think it's better. I think it's... For me, it's, I think it's important that we learn from the past. We learn from history. We learn from what's going on. And the past... I, I know there's a lot of people out there who want to forget the past. And there's a lot of people who kind of uh, want to cancel the past as well. Go, oh, well, that's disgraceful. Let's cancel it. I think the whole purpose of the past is that we learn from the past so we don't make the same mistakes in the future and the present. And that's what this is about. And, uh, do you know, if if we end up sliding backwards and, and saying, hey, women, look, you're not going to have you're not going to have rights anymore. If we start taking away rights from decent human beings who are just trying to live their lives, just trying to live their lives, do you know, it's, it's just wrong that that's kind of happening. So we need to be we need to be pushing forward. We need to be a more tolerant society do you know that there's going to be things that you do and things that your neighbor does that will conflict you just got to accept that we've just got to accept that we're different it what it's what makes us more exciting more it's what makes us unique if we all became drones what's the point in life what's the point in living if we all if we all believe the same shit if we all do the same thing it's just boring it's like we're all different let's just accept that let's try and create laws that are, that suit you know people living a better life rather than just oh this is my belief and i'm gonna stick to that and i'm gonna, not gonna oh how dare you oh this is my belief and therefore you should live your life according to my belief even though 
your life is going to be a lot worse off because of my beliefs. It's it, it's it's just wrong, isn't it? It's just entirely wrong. We just need a we need a fairer system of living. And do you know what? If there's laws out there that I don't particularly agree with, do you know what? I'm grown up enough to be able to say I don't agree with those laws. But you know what? It doesn't really affect me. And I think that's the key thing: is it doesn't really if it doesn't really affect you. Just shut up. Just shut up. <laughs> it's like anyway. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure right now someone is is uh, who's never written a review uh, of Murder Mile before is currently writing an angry review going, I've never written a review before, but now I feel obliged to write a negative review. One star. Here it comes. I would I would give naught stars, but iTunes won't let me. Still my favourite. Um, I've, I've seen it on so many people's uh, uh, reviews on their podcast anyway. So there we go. That's that episode done. Uh, I thought it was an important one. We've done a couple of abortion ones before, but I, I, when I kind of found this one, uh, even though we had covered abortion cases before, I felt it was kind of really important to kind of dive into abortion by carbolic soap. Do you know it? it I, th- I think I think we all. Uh, I think a lot of us kind of assume that it's of, you know, you just take some pills. You go, oh, I'll just take some pills. Oh, oh, fetus pops out. But, you know, this is this is one of the methods that was used. It's not one of the most barbaric methods, but it is a barbaric method. And uh, but it was one of the most popular ones. It was kind of cheap. You could do it at home. It can take it was the you use the equipment that you had, but it had high risks. It's a very high risk <sighs> option. I'm trying to think of the word that I don't even think the word option is right. Or choice. That's not even the right word for it, is it? It's just, you know, women forced into a difficult situation. They had to use what they could do at the moment. They couldn't go to the police. They couldn't go to hospital. They were stuck and they were fucked. And then they ended up having to risk their lives. And and as put in there as well, do you know, contraception wasn't there. What are you meant to do? And what are you meant to do if you're married and your husband's like, oh, I demand to have some sex. What do you do? Say no. We're still we're still in an era back then. Don't forget, it was only only about twenty years ago, if my if my memory serves me right, that it was still legal in the UK to rape your wife. It was still legal. What the fuck? So what? What if you're saying if, if at this point you're you're listening to this going, well, she shouldn't have had sex. This going, we're going back fifty years. We're going back fifty years prior to the creation of the the uh, equality law that said you can't rape your wife anymore. That that's relatively new. So what is a woman meant to do in the nineteen fifties? Do you know? It's it's anyway anyway that that is that we've done that episode. <sighs> Christ, that was a hard one. Um, Oh, did I say welcome to Extra Mile? Unscripted, on it. This is the unscripted, unedited bit. What we'll do is to do some quiz questions shortly. What I'll, I'll, I'll do some extra stuff that uh, wasn't in the episode. Uh, don't forget, if uh, if you uh, want to be a Patreon subscriber and you like Extra Mile, I have a kind of a good old walk with Walk With Me and then I fill you in on all the details. I fill you in on secrets that I don't tell anyone else. And also you get to explore interesting places with me, like... Doggers Lane. There we go. Doggers Lane, where I walk down there and I talk about the show we've been to, and then I walk past loads of cars where people are having sexy time in cars and flashing lights at each other. Uh, it's just accident. I just happen to be walking by. Um, 
what else is going on uh i'm i'm recording this during a lull uh, we're right in the heart of Storm Kieran at the moment, and I was I was recording it partly at lunchtime when I was get the the uh, the boatman was here, boatman boatwoman, and they deliver my gas and my coal and my fuel, and I was stocking up on all that, and I started to record this, but Storm Kieran kind of ran in. And I was like, oh, you bastard, I can't record this anymore because it's too noisy. The boat's rocking around and there's rain on the roof. So I went away to the coffee shop and did did some uh, work on a project I'm working on. Um, And then I was like, oh, there's a gap in the clouds. So I found like a a two hour gap in the clouds and I'm recording this. I've just finished. That's not bad. This has taken me about an hour. I, I really, really thought I'd struggle with this episode, but I did all right. So there we go. Hence, I treated myself today to a nice Belgian bun. One of the nice Belgian buns from the nice shop up the road. The big fat Belgian buns that's got lemon curd on the centre. Mm. Although it, I'm not, it's, it's not going to be a regular thing. I'm still trying to stay slim. I'm trying to keep the fat off. Uh, but yeah, I'm just trying to be a good boy at the moment. I'm trying not to go backwards because uh, I, I I know I can binge. I have no I have no self control. I really don't. So there we go. Um, thank you to new Patreon subscribers. Just want to say thank you to Sandra Blaufeld and Ricky J. So thank you Sandra and thank you Ricky. Uh, thank you for becoming Patreon subscribers. It's very much appreciated. Uh, hope you're enjoying the show. I uh, hope you're enjoying all the goodies that uh, you get with Patreon as well. Um, with Patreon, don't forget. Um, what you can do. Yeah, is you can there's a button that says free trial and if you click free trial um you can get access to everything you get access to everything in that tier you can go through the back catalog you can have a look through uh see what you like if you like what you see you can stay after seven days if not not a problem you could you could just unclick and then you know you don't have to pay for anything but then you get you get to see oh do i want to be a patron subscriber and if you do at the end of your trial then i'll send you some goodies and you get a handwritten thank you from me not like some people do where they print it off once and they sign it this is a handwritten one by me handwriting sometimes quite shit but you also get exclusive stuff like the murder mile beer map murder mile badges murder mile stickers murder mile fridge magnet depending on the tier as well you also get uh the murder mile key ring and murder mile mug which is on the higher tiers as well and some of those mugs i'm not making any more as well they are kind of when they're done but they're done so right let's dive into some quiz questions and then i could have i could have my kebabs i could have my kebabs which i have had for almost 16 months now almost every night and i'm still not bored of them i still think they're really good and i've in order to help my diet i flesh them out with carrots so kind of parboiled carrots or kind of more um, al dente, but it's really good. It adds, if, if, if you're trying to find a way to diet, folks, what I've worked out is you can have kind of a decent meal. But what I do is I flesh everything out with either chopped up carrots or chopped up celery or bits of both or, or, or chopped up tomato as well. What it does is because it's low calorie, it fleshes everything out. And therefore you kind of feel full, but you're not being full of like I had a past I treated myself to a pasta meal the other day. Um, yeah, it was alright. Do you know I, I kind of didn't miss it. It was quite bland. I missed having crunchy textures. So yeah, I'm glad I'm glad I'm doing that now. Anyway, that was some A grade waffle for you there. That was high quality waffle that I shipped in from Belgium and covered in fucking whipped cream. That was waffle o'clock. <sighs> Let's do some quiz questions. Um I will admit I've only done eight because I wanted to dive into some extra stuff on this. Uh but they are quite hard questions. Ooh. Uh, so let's see. 
uh, how, how you do on these. Uh, the answers will come at the end. So, question number one. What floor was Georgia's flat on? Question number two. Georgia was one of how many children? Question number three. What was the name of the company that Georgia worked at? Question number four. In which part of London was Dr. Leocides' surgery? Question number five. In 1923, what percentage of maternal deaths were due to illegal abortions? Question number six. What was the name of the doctor who was acquitted of giving an abortion to a 14-year-old girl who'd been gang-raped? Question number seven. What on what street was Haratini on what street did Haratini Matthew live? And question number eight, what was Anastasia cooking in the kitchen? There we go. Okay, let's dive into some extra so when the police walked in, um this was the evidence they found. So, uh, Detective Inspector Percy Woolway, there, were, there was actually a, a, a constable who came in first and he did an initial look and he was the one who was like, okay, uh, I need to call, um, I need to call uh, the, the, the homicide department. My brain's not working at the moment. Uh, Scotland Yard, things do da. Um, Percy Woolway, so DI Percy Woolway said uh, he went into the basin. So don't forget the basin was in the kitchen where there was also the bath. So we're in that era where you've got a bath and you've got, uh, same as last week, you've got the bath and you've got the, the kitchen stove together because that's where you heat the water to put in the bath so it makes sense to put them together the toilet just so you know was next door in a private kind of sectioned off room you, you kind of get that in a, in a lot of places we it's kind of weird looking back because i always remember toilets being in a different room to the washing basin but that was kind of the old way of doing things um so uh, in the washing basin he found the tablet of soap uh, he also noticed damp stains on the bed sheets and pillows and a smell of carbolic soap. It's quite an acrid smell. So when he kind of, it's very disinfectantly. So when he walked in, he could smell instantly. It was carbolic soap. He'd been to so many of these kind of uh, crime scenes where an abortion had either taken place and the person had fled or an abortion had taken place and someone had died. There was, as, as mentioned in the episode, there was a lot of deaths owing to these kind of illegal abortions. But, you know, what are these men, women meant to do? If you, you don't want to have a baby what are you going to do uh on the floor was a pair of nylon stockings uh it stated as if they had been pulled off the legs uh we don't know who by don't forget at this point we've got Haratini and we've got anastasia and they we will go into their statements before kind of in this episode i cut co- i covered a lot of this using their original statements at the start because i wanted to get across not the fact that they're lying they were lying but trying to get a fact across the fact that even though the evidence was clear-cut throughout they they're in such a difficult precarious situation that at the start they they're they're just saying we don't know anything about this we didn't see anything but obviously all this information all this uh, evidence is there so um on the floor was rolls of cotton wool uh two bed sheets which had areas of soap staining a pillow which also had areas of soap staining uh, a lid to one of the bottles on which were two cotton wool ball swabs soaked in carbolic soap uh exhibit five was the enamel basin itself exhibit six a substance in the glass a soap solution with two ounces of stiff soapy jelly which contained about 30 percent of dry household carbolic soap uh, and exhibit seven a 
tablet of Lifebuoy carbolic soap, um, which had been pa- paired with a knife. Uh, they said part of the pairing was not fresh, so it indicated that there had been a length of time between the pairing and its use. So they knew that because it wasn't wet. Um, but also, this does kind of suggest that this piece of soap had probably been used multiple times before. Uh, when George Antonio, who was um, George's husband, came back to the flat, he said that that soap was not one that they'd ever used before. He said, I've never seen it in my flat. We always use a white soap. Uh, Carbolic is kind of a, a, a kind of a weird, horrible grey colour. Um, autopsy was held at 3.45pm. Uh, that same day uh, by Dr. Donald Tear. He said he'd, Georgia had died as a result of an air embolim- embolism within 10 minutes of injection of a frothy sol- solution of household carbolic soap. <sighs> There's a, a lot in here that's really difficult for me to... I, I, as you know, I really do struggle with uh, reading and uh, dyslexia and having a bit of a stutter. So sometimes... It's it's got better through years of doing podcasting. It really has got a hell of a lot better. But with things like this, is I still struggle a lot. Um, so uh, the autopsy, there were small incised wounds at the base of each thumbnail. So uh, as mentioned in the episode, uh, Anastasia, George's mother, has said that she dug her fingernails into the into the corners of her thumbnails in order to try and revive her. So that was entirely true. Uh, in and around the bed they said it was quite wet as well with with water so that was the same that Haratini as we'll see later on she'd thrown water at Georgia to try and wake her up Um, I mentioned in the episode about the different ways that they tried to uh, wake her up from her kind of um, her collapse and unfortunately you know we all know how to do the kind of the heart compressions that you know the staying alive we've all been taught how to do that and even if we're not taught we all know roughly what we've got to do but back in that era the kind of idea of kind of um, artificial respiration was literally getting the legs the person lies on their back you get their legs and you raise their knees multiple times to their chest and that was believed to be artificial respiration uh, also using uh, eau de clone kind of a strong aftershave slash perfume under their nose to wake them up so these are all things that were tried but it was just it was absolutely futile uh, inside the uterus, the uterus was enlarged and contained a fetus of approximately two months gestation, being four mu- four inches in diameter, and the uterus contained a large quantity of froth and smelled of carbolic soap. Uh, also in there were pieces of coagulated white material, uh, which bore the consistency of soft soap. Uh, the walls of the uterus also contained air bubbles, so that's as mentioned in the episode. Air bubbles had gone in through that wound, into the bloodstream into the veins into the heart uh the vessels supplying the heart and the vessels of the brain as well so uh she died within 10 minutes uh it would have been a horrible death as well it's um you get a lot of auditory and visual hallucinations there's a lot going on in your brain you you, you've got heart arrhythmia as as mentioned in the episode it's absolutely a horrible way to die um but also it seems to be according to the notes uh the pathologist said i formed the opinion that the amount of pressure needed to distend the uterus to the extent four and a half inches would not have been caused by the girl herself it looks like the um the uh, embryonic sac hadn't 
detached as it should have done therefore they were trying to manually remove it themselves uh it's we're not too sure why we're not we're not sorry we're not too sure how they were trying to do that uh so the autopsy was pretty much uh, consistent the, the only external injuries to georgia were the uh the small um crescent shaped wounds to the base of each base of each thumbnail which her mother had done to try and raise around no other bruising uh, that was going on that we could see um let's let me run down to uh the third statement by anastasius she gave two statements but then eventually on the 8th of september she turned up at, at uh, tottenham court road police station which was where the investigation was held um because that's in fitzrovia and uh she was like this is her words i've come to come to this station of my own accord now that i've come to my senses to tell the truth the whole truth as god is the truth my daughter told me that she had not had her period for several days but then something happened on a few occasions um just as a reminder because she speaks uh greek and she has almost almost no english this has gone through a translator the translator has reiterated it to um a police constable the police constable obviously the the detective asks the questions therefore this is not her saying these words and then being put in direct onto paper it's kind of a back and forth so it's not really her words uh, she said, a few days later, my daughter and I went to see Dr. Leocides at his home. The doctor examined my daughter and told me, I cannot tell you now, but come and see me after a few days. A few days later, we went to see the doctor. And this time he said, I think you are pregnant. When we left the doctor's house, uh, I said to my daughter, if you are pregnant, you have a husband and are a married woman. So you do have children. Um, uh, with my daughter many times we spoke about the matter of pregnancy and she said she did not want to have a child as she was not married in the church in brackets the greek church and i used to tell her that many cypriot ladies were not married in the church but they did have children because a registry marriage is is valid um a few days later my daughter said to me i know of a certain woman i have heard of a certain woman and i want you to come with me so we can see this woman perhaps she knows something to tell me about this matter I supposed, I don't know, that my daughter had heard something about this woman. It did not cross my mind. I went to the house of this woman. Uh, obviously, this woman is Haratini. Uh, and when we got there, I learned that her name was Harita. It wasn't. Uh, my daughter and Mrs. Harita. I, I've changed it throughout the episode because I didn't want you going Haratini and then oh who is Harita I've I've changed I've called her the woman a lot because it just makes more sense my daughter and Mrs Harita were speaking together in English which I do not understand um it, it's also unclear how much English Georgia knew as well uh we did not did not stay there a long time approximately five or ten minutes before we left I heard Mrs Harita say to my daughter it is nothing don't be afraid we left the house of Mrs Harita and went to the house of my daughter it was in the afternoon and I stayed with my daughter up to nine or ten o'clock as usual and then went to my room at Googe Place. The Sunday before the accident, we, myself, my daughter and her husband George were, on, were at the Brotherhood um, and then left and said goodnight to me and I stayed there. So she stayed at her daughter's place the night before. Um, it was kind of we don't really know when the initial part of the abortion happened because with with the um with the uh, enema syringe 
that's kind of administered um and normally with all of the the kind kind of carbolic soap soap going inside of a uterus normally that takes about a day for it to kind of i think what the word is i would say infect and then kind of cause inflammation of the kind of the the walls and the amni uh embryonic sac uh and also for the baby to die so it takes normally a day so we we don't know quite when it happened whether it happened whether it happened like within an hour whether uh at the one o'clock when they say that they turned up at the flat whether that's when they administered it uh, a cut happened and then everything went wrong that could have happened because the baby uh, the baby was dead, but by that point, the mother had died by the time the autopsy had happened, obviously. Um, but there was still the the white frothy, the white froth from the carbolic soap inside of her, which was still slightly bubbling. So we, we don't quite know when that had happened. It, it could be likely that it happened on that same day. It could be likely that uh, it was done the day before. We don't know. We really don't know. Um day of the abortion uh i thought it was right to call there and to make a bed for her as usual as i as i knew that she was starting work after the holiday she'd actually taken two weeks off work um around this time so it looks like this was around the time that they were planning to kind of do the abortion uh, i went upstairs opened the door with the key and saw my daughter in the bedroom when i saw her i was surprised in inverted in brackets terrified and i said and i said to me that doesn't quite work and i said to me why and i said to her that probably is meant to say why did you not go to work she told me she did not because she was indisposed i then entered the bedroom and saw mrs harita in my daughter's house but had no right to say anything it was not my room then my daughter said to me go to the kitchen and get dinner ready and i went to the kitchen i was in the kitchen for a while i do not remember how long and left them alone in the bedroom so you can see how kind of she's trying to distance herself from everything she's being quite vague she's like you know it's not my place i just turned up to do some cooking uh this woman's there i don't know who she is even though she she's known her for four years but you can see why she's trying to distance herself from everything and also she never mentions anything to do with the cotton wool buds the, the soap the enema uh the enema anything i called out and asked my daughter if she uh, if she wanted me to set the table and she said no i have no appetite now later i went and sat in the dining room uh, there i heard some noises coming from the kitchen and went back into the kitchen when i entered the kitchen i saw the two that's um, harita and her daughter and they had a bowl on the gas i don't know what was in it i only saw that the water in the bowl was colored uh, so this would have been the uh, carbolic acid being a uh, uh, heated up and dissolved um i wanted the how i wanted to leave the house not to see or know anything see that is a statement in its own right isn't it? it of why would you say that in a statement if like if like this is nothing why would you say that but obviously she it's clear that she knows that something is going on there so she's trying to say something is going on but i don't like it and but i didn't say anything about it this is the problem is that if you think about it she's in quite we've already seen her how she is immediately afterwards Do you know her daughter's just died this is this is she was interviewed 
the day that she, her daughter died and then a week after then a week after that but obviously she's frantic she's desperate she's in floods of tears especially while she's doing this statement as well so she's not thinking clearly and let's not forget as well she's doing this in her language which has been translated to someone else and then translated into english and then put onto paper so it's so this is all this is all an absolute mess um but that's what happens a lot with statements um my daughter said to me go and sit in the sitting room it's nothing to do with you i said to her my daughter do what you know you're not a child you are 24 years old she was 23 um uh, i then went back and sat down in the dining room i wanted to go back into the kitchen i felt an urge to go back into the kitchen and to get some water and put it on my face when i went to the kitchen i did not find them there I went to the bathroom and saw them there, but my daughter was lying on the bed, the one next to the window, dressed and semi-conscious. Uh, there was two beds in the room. Um, it, it, don't forget, this is near where you know, husbands and wives share a room together, but they often have separate beds. Some people would say that it's a blessing. Uh, I took my daughter in my arms. Uh, oh, um, she was dressed and semi-conscious. I took my daughter in her arms in my arms i smacked her on the face this is to kind of revive her uh bit her thumb and did what i could to bring her to but i could not uh i was then pulling my hair because of my depression my glasses fell off i did not know what i was doing and i could not see anything i was mad and kept running from room to room uh, so this is what the, the the witnesses did say that but it's kind of interesting that she says the glasses fell off because if you think about it that's a good way of saying i didn't see anything um she said uh i went to another room to find my handbag to get the notebook in which i had dr leocidi's phone number i finally found the notebook and the doctor's number and rung him up but i could not speak to him i only managed to say leocidi's run at once to my door to georgia i told him my name and left the number I was like a mad person. I did not know what to do. I did not even go back to my daughter. I ran downstairs to see if I could find someone to telephone the hospital. I went to a shop near the Milkman's and found an English boy. I wanted him to telephone the hospital, but I could not tell him in English. I only managed, I only managed to say the word daughter and showed him with my hands crossed over my, uh, crossed over my, crossed over that my daughter would die. I said, please, hospital daughter. He gave me a pencil and paper and I wrote 21, the number of my daughter's house. I didn't put that in the episode because it, it, it's kind of hard to get that across. I think visually you could do that. Audibly, it doesn't kind of work. But it's, you know, it's kind of quite a, a frantic thing in there. One of the reasons that I didn't put it in there is because even though a lot of this is about what Anastasia knew and what Haratini knew, um, I also wanted... Th- to make sure that this was about georgia because georgia is the victim here not the mother and haratini are but kind of more georgia and it's really georgia's pain that's going on um what have we got uh haratini matthew uh so she'd been in the uk since 1937 she came over here as a widow she married her husband michael matthew in january 1938 Uh, they'd since separated and had two children and she earns a living uh, by sewing she said i have known mrs andreo which is uh, anastasia for some three or four years i met her on the corner of new almost gave away the quiz question then 
you had a little bit of that then uh, and we talked together because we're both from cyprus she's been to my house many times um uh, last week she called at my house uh, with another lady who she said was her daughter it's interesting that um in the kind of this the original version that um Anastasia said oh it was my daughter and her they knew each other and uh, they were c- communicating but here uh, Haratini says no I really don't know her at all it's kind of uh, the, the, her daughter no idea um, what we got what we got let me just I'm just oh yeah okay so I was just scrolling down a bit so um, Haratini said uh, both mother and daughter asked me before I left to call on them at flat 821 Hanson Street and I've said of course of course one day um, so in none of this are they admitting pregnancy or abortion or anything like that she said that day she went shopping in Houston she called in on them it was all very polite Georgia answered the door and she was dressed all three of us sat down and talked about housework in general lovely uh, Georgia said I've got a headache mummy her mother told her to lay down and have a rest. We heard a noise like something falling and found Georgia lying on the floor of the bedroom. Mother and I lifted her on the bed. I then put water on her forehead to bring her round as I have, an, I have nursing experience having been a trained registered midwife in Cyprus. Georgia came around. She opened her eyes but did not speak. Mother and I were crying because we were frightened. I tried to massage her heart. Her breathing was quick and I told her mother get a doctor again in none of this even though all of the abortion equipment is on the bed in the sink or around kind of uh, between her legs no one ever mentions that at all and and, and you can understand why um uh, haratini said she called out of the window to ask people to get help and she called up the stairs hence also the neighbors were uh, called as well um she said i went into the bedroom uh, georgia had her stocking and slipper on I pulled her stockings off so I could massage her legs. I did this to see if she would open her eyes. Her mother pulled her daughter's legs up uh, and was working them to see if she could wake her up. As mentioned in the episode, this is the kind of the, the you know, massaging, massaging the heart. So not the heart massage that doctors do, but kind of just massaging in and around the heart, massaging the legs to wake her up. It's a 1950s technique. It wasn't very effective, as you can appreciate. The ambulance men arrived. Uh, they put her on a st- stretcher. Uh, Dr. Leocides arrived, but uh, because he determined that Georgia was already dead, the ambulance men actually took the stretcher back into the house and put Georgia back on the bed. Um, it, it, it's the thing, you know. Uh, the, the, they needed to wait for the uh, for the police to turn up, but also for because she's dead. You know, she's certified as dead. Therefore, uh, what they needed was for a hearse to arrive as opposed to an ambulance. Uh, Mrs. Haratini, uh, sorry, Haratini said, uh, I do not know what caused her to faint uh, as I do not, as I did not do anything to make her faint. I did not know that she was expecting a baby. Neither Georgia nor the mother had told me. I saw no syringe while I was there, nor cotton wool, nor any basins. Uh, She also said, um, I put this in the episode, unless I've edited it out. Uh, the syringe which was found in my house by the police is mine. I use it for myself. I last used it about a week ago. Don't forget, this is uh, a um, 
a rubber syringe it's an uh, an enema syringe so it's not really a syringe like an injection thing it's more kind of uh like a rubberized pump and you squeeze it do you know like what you used to have uh, as kids and um do you know when you have those fake flowers on your chest and you go oh look i've got a fake flower on my chest oh have a sniff of it and then you squeeze one of those rubber the rubber base of it and it goes squirt someone in the face and and people who are clowns think it's hilarious it's so that at the bottom is kind of more like the the um uh, rubberized uh enema enema syringe so it's more like that as opposed to a, a hard metal syringe uh for injecting things um uh, she said, I suffer from constipation and sometimes use uh, soapy mixtures. Um, they also found in a, in a in a flat a box of 11 ampules of an undisclosed drug and a syringe. Um, they In the police file, they listed what the name of the drug was. Uh, unfortunately, they'd written it down really badly. So it's I don't know what it was. And it, we, don't, we also don't know whether it was anything to do with the abortion itself. So we don't know. But she did admit um that she was a registered midwife but she did say i am not a registered nurse in this country um so there you go that was that that file uh that case um quite a tragic one i mean they're all tragic i think i think that's why i like to focus on these these little unheard cases because real people's lives as opposed to oh serial killer oh he did he did bad killing and he did cut heads off oh he's always horrible isn't he oh so there we go there we go um let me do some quiz questions let's see how many of them i fricked up uh i think i almost did one but i think that was it okay let's see how we did uh question number one ooh, a belgian bun is calling my name question number one what floor was the flat on it was the third floor Question number two, Georgia was one of how many children? So it's three. Uh, she had a brother. He, uh, Her brother was still in Cyprus and her sister Magda. So one of three. Uh, question number three, what was the name of the company that Georgia worked at? It was called Linda Lee, just off Oxford Street. Question number four, in which part of London was Dr. Lee Seedy's surgery? It was in Kentish Town. Or if you live in Kentish Town, that's Kentish Town. Question number five. In 1923, what percentage of maternal deaths were due to illegal abortions? It was 15%. Uh, question number six. What was the name of the doctor who was acquitted of giving an abortion to a 14-year-old girl who'd been gang raped? That was Dr. Alex Bourne. Question number seven, what on what street was Haratini on what street did Haratini Matthew live? I almost gave that one away, so uh, hopefully you got that one. Uh, New Compton Street, which is uh, you've got Old Compton Street heading east, and then you go over Charing Cross Road, and then that is New Compton Street. Um, and then question number eight, what was Anastasia cooking in the kitchen? It was a roast chicken, which is kind of odd, isn't it? When you even when you look at that piece of evidence itself. You add together, even though we we've already established that she she was panicking and she had to make up a lot of facts and she didn't really know what she was saying. But if you think about it, she already said that she thought her daughter wasn't there and she was going in to make her bed because she thought she was at work, even though she wasn't at work. Uh, so therefore, she doesn't think she's there. Um, she also uh, doesn't expect to find a guest there, and yet she's making a lunch for a selection of people but there we go that's what happens when you panic you um 
especially when you've just seen your daughter die as well must have been absolutely horrific anyway folks that is that um i would say i hope you enjoyed that episode but i don't think that's one of those episodes you could really enjoy um so next week another episode another one parter i can't remember what it's called uh and then i, I can't even remember I, this is this is the first of november today i've no idea when this episode is going out it's scheduled in i just i've no idea what's going on at the moment uh so thank you very much for supporting the show it's very much appreciated have yourself a good week stay safe and be good people now time for kebabs some telly oh i've got some bake-off to watch I've got bake-off to watch and then i'm gonna have my belgian bun while watching bake-off great times have yourself a good week folks stay safe and be good lots of love 